It's a huge week on the High Motor Podcast because as of last weekend, we are officially closer to the start of the 2019 college football season than closer to the end of the 2018 college football season. So as of today, today is Monday, May 6th, 110 days until the start of the season, Saturday, August 24th, Florida, Miami, Arizona, Hawaii on Saturday, August 24th. Andrew Dowdy here on the High Motor Podcast. Check out the show on Twitter at High Motor Pod. Check out all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you do your podcasting. Last week was a fun episode. I made some rounds and talked to seven FBS head coaches about the transfer portal. Then I smushed that audio together, trimmed out my questions to give you a quick run-through of their opinions, a lot of which weren't particularly positive, we'll say. Uh, Mike Gundy has voiced his opinion in the past, and I talked to him a little bit about it. Um, He's not thrilled. He called it dangerous, and he also said he's just done talking about it. So we'll see if that holds true. And today's going to be a fun episode, too. Mark Madsen is going to hop on the show in a second, new head coach at Utah Valley. He's replacing Mark Pope, who left for BYU. Madsen coming over from the Lakers bench. He spent the last six seasons with the Lakers. Now he's back in Utah where he spent some uh, spent some time. So a lot of stuff I want to ask him as he enters his first season as a head coach at any level. And then also, hey, a quick plug before I get Mark on the blower. Some new daily things on Herosports.com. This week I started dropping a daily college football roundup. Dowdy's Dump. I'm going to tweet that out every day, every morning, probably at a Dowdy88 on Twitter. Handful of college football links, tweets, videos, a lot of good stuff in there. Dowdy's Dump every single morning throughout the college football season. And then starting uh, soon, May 16th, the college football top 100 rankings. So that'll be May 16th through August 23rd. One team preview per day, top 100 teams in college football, team number 100 starting on May 16th, all the way to team number one. Uh, in the country on August 23rd. Again, adowdy88 on Twitter. You'll find all of that there. All right, let's get humming here on the High Motor Podcast. Joining the show is Mark Madsen, introduced as the new Utah Valley head coach last month, taking over a program that won 25 games a year ago, their most as a Division One member. Mark, how's the first few weeks been on the new job? Andrew, the first two weeks have been great. Uh, I think the first week I, I might have slept a total of you know 20 hours across five or six days just because there there are so many things to do as, as a as a new head coach of a program. You've got number one, you've got the introductory press conference. You've got meetings with all the um, players in the program. You have meetings with alumni. You have meetings with boosters. Um, you have media obligations, and so it, it was a lot, but it was so much fun. I could not be happier here at Utah Valley and. You know, we have a great nucleus of players. We lost a few guys to transfers, but we have an unbelievable nucleus. And obviously this is a, a very special basketball tradition here at Utah Valley that, that I want to continue to try to build. What was the learning curve there? I know that you know you obviously play college basketball and you've been around the game. You spent the year up at, up at Stanford on Giant Docking staff. But what was the learning curve where you get this new job? Were there a lot of things that you just didn't know you, that you had to do or were on the checklist? But, you know, it's interesting. In in the NBA itself, what you really deal with the most is you deal with the players and you deal with X's and O's. And so most of your focus every single day is players, X's and O's, preparation to, to win games. Uh, at the college level, you have, number one, you have an NCAA recruiting test that, that you need to pass before you can even start doing off-campus recruiting. And obviously I, I had 
taken that before at Stanford with Johnny Dawkins, had passed it. But, you know, there's been new legislation since then, so there's new, there's new rules there. There's, there's a number of tremendous supporters of this program throughout the community. And so, obviously, you, you want to get to know the people that really support the program because without their support, obviously, you can't, you can't really run the program. And so, really getting to know some of the key people that have supported Utah Valley basketball, that, that was something that was a great opportunity and something that's still ongoing. Um, we had some players in the transfer portal. Some of those players I was able to convince and, and re-recruit to stay at Utah Valley. Others made, made the decision to, to transfer. And so that, that is very different than the NBA. In the NBA, when, you, when somebody's under contract, they're, they're, they're with that team really for the duration of the contract, except that there's a trade. And so, you know, learning all these things, there is a learning curve. Um, I feel that I'm really getting up to speed as quickly as possible. And the biggest thing is I'm extremely excited for the direction of the program, for the players in the program and for the chance to schedule some great games next season so that our players can showcase their talents and abilities. So you mentioned the difference, and like I said, you have more NBA experience than college experience coming into this job. So let me ask you this. Why do you think you can do this? Is there any nervousness for your first head coaching job? I'm excited. I feel tremendous excitement about about this job. The Lakers hired me to be their head coach of their G League team. I really didn't get a chance to do that very long because Mike D'Antoni, he promoted me up to the Lakers to, to join him and his staff. But uh, I'm extremely excited. But ultimately, the college game is has some differences in the NBA, than the NBA game. But I've been in college before at Stanford as a coach and as a graduate manager. Um, I have a number of great mentors in the college game. And then when it comes to the actual game of basketball itself, you know, basketball is basketball. You, you got to find some great players. You got to put them on the court, and, and you got to put them in a position to be successful. And so, with with that being said, my main emotion is excitement, uh, ready to attack the season, the coming year, and, and really ready to help each player in the program achieve their goals, whatever they may be. So there were some reports that before you took this job that you had spoke with BYU about that vacancy, uh, which ultimately resulted in, in the Utah Valley vacancy. Are you willing to say if that's true? And then how do you kind of handle that when, um, if it is true, when you're speaking with another program and then you take a different job, um, how do you handle that balance of having that other interest but then ultimately going with a different uh, direction? Well, I mean, throughout my coaching career, I've had a number of interviews Um throughout my coaching career, starting going back to my time at Stanford. And so interviews are going to happen. You need to figure out where the best fit is. Uh, but ultimately, Utah Valley is where I want to be. My wife is from this area. Um, we actually have had a home in this area for a while, given that we have family up here. And I could not be more excited to be here at Utah Valley with, with the players in this program. In, in the first week, I was able to, you know, I got here and we had a week to work the players out. And then after that, it was dead week in preparation for finals and then finals. And then our, our players have a little bit of time to go home and see their families. So one of the highlights for me was getting on the court with our guys, putting them through drills, really focusing on skill work. In the NBA, there is such an emphasis on player development because ultimately a lot of times plays break down in the game or the defense correctly scouts a play. You, you try to get all the counters, but, but sometimes the play breaks down. 
and then you need to get the ball into somebody's hands to make a basketball play. Player development is going to be something that I that is extremely focused on here and emphasized. How do you, you know, I talked about the balance before with the interview process, but how do you handle the balance of going from, you know, coach NBA players most of your career, going from coaching a guy like LeBron James to to somebody at Utah Valley? I mean, there's no question there is a, a talent disparity there. Are, are you confident that are you confident that your that your coaching style, your coaching system will translate? And if it doesn't, um, how do you adapt to your personnel or how do you plan to adapt to your personnel in that case? Well, you're right. I mean, you're, you're hitting on an important point. There are definitely players in the NBA in their 30s, grown men, um, different stages of life. But at the same time, the NBA has gotten much younger. There was a time there where we had a number of 18-year-olds on the Lakers, uh, Brandon Ingram, Evita Zubak, um, Lonzo Ball, others. Uh, and so it's interesting because when you look at our roster here, we actually have some players here in this program that are older than some of the players that, that, I, that we were coaching at the Lakers. And so I think one thing that, that translates across levels is the ability to communicate and the ability to build relationships. And so one of my big focuses as I came into this role as head coach of Utah Valley is building great relationships with, with all of our existing players and, and just opening up all lines of communication. Um, players of today, they want to be part of, they want to be part of things. They want to, they want to understand what the direction of the program is, the vision that the head coach has for them and their role. And so there's been so many productive conversations with, with the players that, that are here. I've tried to take a lot of the players out to lunch or dinner. Um, I'll, I'll be able to finish that over the next several weeks, um, but got most of them. And it's just, I, I love sitting down with the player, whether a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, learning more about where they came from, learning more about where they want to go, learning more about what they want to add to their game so that they can reach the heights that they have set for themselves. Mark, I want to widen the picture here, if you don't mind. I'm unsure how much you've been paying attention to the college basketball corruption trials over the last couple of years, uh, the related reports, allegations of different programs and whatnot, but do you have an opinion on those trials, on the allegations uh, of several programs across basketball? Have you been paying attention to that at all? Well, I, I, ultimately, yes, I, I have. Uh, you always hear rumors of guys getting paid. You, you hear about recruits getting cash payments. I've never been involved. I've never seen it. I've never, you know, I've never seen it or experienced it. Again, you hear rumors. Um, obviously, here we are going to build a culture of strict compliance uh, with, you know, every letter of the law that the NCAA has. As far as allegations, allegations against other programs, it's tough for me to know what's, what's true and what's not. Uh, I think some of those things are being played out publicly and, in the courtroom and the legal process is, is taking its course. And, and so I think as, as this thing gets flushed out over the next 12 to 18 months, I think more will come to light, but the, the game of basketball speaks for itself. That there's no need to get involved in some of those activities and some of those payments because basketball by itself is pure. Uh, the game draws in the world and the, and the country's best players and the game itself is a refuge. Uh, it's been a refuge for me. It's been, it's been a huge part of my life. It's something I want to share with others. And, and again, in terms of the, the other programs, I think the legal process will play out and, 
and whatever happens will happen. So you mentioned that you know you're always hearing things. We don't have to get into those details, but because you are hearing things, does that mean there's there's less of a surprise when you know actual evidence does come out, or whether it's these wiretap allegations, or whether it's recordings themselves? So when something like that comes out, uh, you know, whether whatever case it may be, is there less of a surprise from you because you have heard them, even though you haven't actually seen them or been part of it? Well, I think that we still live in a country where people are innocent until proven until proven guilty. And that's kind of the stance I want to take on this. Uh, you know, certain programs are being mentioned in the media, and a lot of these programs are great programs that have great histories. And so if there was an indiscretion made by, by, by some member of the program, I think it's important that the, that the university corrects it and, and puts procedures, practices, and infrastructure in place so that it's not repeated. Um, in terms of being surprised, I don't really know how to answer that other than to say, you know, I don't think that some of these things are massively widespread, but still in all, it's where there's smoke, there's probably a little bit of fire and and, and time will tell and, and time will reveal more. more. Now, I know you've only been on the job, like you said, for a couple of weeks now, but in those two weeks and what you've heard from people, what's different now in college basketball from, from when you played? And I know we could probably devote an entire podcast episode or entire podcast itself to just this but you know specifically recruiting wise NCAA rules you know what things stand out to you as as the biggest difference um, as you jump back into basketball what are we 18 19 years later from when you left the game as a player the, the biggest thing that stands out to me and I'll never forget this I was I met Tom Mizzo we were both recruiting uh, a player out of Minneapolis actually we were at Dale South High School um, right there in downtown Minneapolis and he and I were talking and and really I have so much respect for Tom Izzo and his program, how he's built it, the players that he produces, Draymond Green being, you know, one that comes to mind. Uh, but, you know, you, you hear different coaches talk and, and really college basketball with the ability of players to transfer, the grad transfer, the, the, the waivers that the NCAA grants for personal reasons for players, and ultimately the, the transfer portal, I think these are really good things for the players. Players need to be able to go where they feel that they're going to have the best opportunity to showcase what they can do on the court. That's new. That, that's different than when I played. That's different than when I coached in 2012. Uh, the ability of players to transfer, I think, gives the voice back to the players, which is really, to me, the way it should be. Um, in the NBA, you have free agency. In, in college basketball, you have the ability to transfer. I'm I'm happy with that, and it, it also provides a great opportunity for coaches to to look at that portal and, and recruit guys and and to learn what they can do and see if it's a fit for their program. So, if you're happy with the increased player rights, at least in that, does that mean that you wouldn't mind seeing uh, players get paid and you know you can get as in depth as you want into that, whether that's making money off of their their brand, their image, their likeness, or just flat out payments? And that we've seen an increase in stipends and all that um, since you did play. But I, mean, I guess how far are you willing to go? Have you really thought about that? Would you mind seeing players get paid? I was part of a task force in 99-2000 in, in college. It was myself, Shane Battier, John Thompson. We met at the Final Four. And we were actually pushing for uh, more rights for players. I, I do think that there's room to increase stipends for student-athletes. There's a lot of complicated issues because – there are certain sports that produce a lot of revenue. There are other sports that do not produce as much revenue. 
there's got to be a way that addresses a lot of the issues of fairness, equality, um, you know, across the board. It's a complicated issue, but ultimately these student-athletes across all sports devote so much of their time and energy and emotional capacity to their sport. And I think there's got to be a way to increase stipends, to to help financially give a piece back to the players. Are you happy with the progress that we've seen, whether that's NCAA rules or how schools are, are handling student-athletes since since you guys gathered for that task force almost 20 years ago? Are you happy with the progress over the last two decades? I'm happy with the fact that all parties are talking. I, I know, you know, in baseball, for example, players can leave straight out of high school. Players can get drafted, uh, you know, after their senior year of high school. In, in football – I'm not sure exactly what the current rule is, but once a player goes to college, they have to stay X number of years. In basketball, I, I think there's room. I, I'm really happy that the NCAA, college basketball, and the NBA, they're, they're all having a really productive dialogue to try to give players more rights. Um, why should a tennis player be able to go pro at 17 or 18, but a, a young player can't go pro to the NBA? You can serve in the military at, I think it's 18, but you can't, if you're a good enough player and prospect for the NBA, you, there's certain rules about that. So I'm really happy with the dialogue. I think it's moving in a good direction. The game of basketball is player-driven. Obviously, coaching is a, is a big part of that. Helping develop players is a huge responsibility that I take very seriously. But ultimately, in college and in the NBA, the players make this game possible with, with their talents, with their abilities, with their personalities. And, and so I, I'm very happy with the dialogue and the way that that's going. So after your college career, you're drafted by this Lakers team that was loaded with veterans, loaded with talent. Kobe Shaq, uh, Ron Harper was on that team, Rick Fox, Robert Ory, Horace Grant was on that team, and coached by Phil Jackson. Was there any sort of intimidation factor when you arrived and first met all those guys? <laughs> I'll never forget uh, being in the weight room the first day of training camp. And I see Shaq in there. And, you know, he comes up to me and he says, are you the rookie? I said, yeah, I'm the rookie. And and he welcomed me in uh, two weeks later. Two or three weeks later, he signed a huge contract extension, I think an $80 million extension. He had sent me a message to be at the press conference. I was there at the press conference, and afterwards he said, hey, get in the car. We're going car shopping. And he told me, he said, you can't be rolling into the Staples Center in that Astro van that has a dent on the side. Well, that Astro van that had the dent on the side was a gift from my parents to me when I graduated from college. I was proud of that car. I, I, was, I was single at the time. I was going on dates. You know, I'd pick a young lady up on a date with the Astro van with a dent on the side. I was proud of it, but, but Shaq let it be known. You can't be rolling into the Staples Center with that Astro van. He took me car shopping. Uh, then we went, then he, we went up to the Beverly Hills Mall, and he literally bought a three to $5,000 Rolex watch for every single member of the team as a thank you uh, from him to them for the championship the year before and for everything all the teammates did to help him in his career. And so a lot of those stars, Shaq, Kobe, Wick Fox, you mentioned Robert Ory and Ron Harper, these, these were great players, and to this day, they're, they're friends, they're, they're colleagues, they're, they're people I, I am very grateful for the friendship with them. So what kind of car did Shaq buy you? 
He, so he bought me the Rolex. He took me car shopping. He wanted to put the down payment down. I felt so much guilt inside. I said, Shaq, look, let me trade in my Astros hand. They'll give me a $2,000 down payment. My, my payments from the Lakers will start coming in. They'll start hitting my bank account November 15th. So let me do this myself. And he pushed and pushed, but ultimately I put down the down payment myself. But, but he did. He ponied up on the Rolex. I forgot to tell you. We stopped at Rochester Big and Tall or uh, some type of Big and Tall store in Beverly Hills. He dropped $8,000 on a suit, a bunch of jeans, some really nice shirts. I mean, the, the guy was generous beyond belief. So is that what he was like? I mean, I know you're only there for a few years, though. Was that what Shaq was like off the court when the cameras are off, when 99.99% of the world doesn't see him? Was that pretty consistent with how he was? Shaq is a person, he's not going to be a more generous, outgoing, and down-to-earth person away from the court. Sometimes the, the camera and the media capture, capture Shaq going to the inner city and giving out toys at Christmas or taking turkeys you know, during Thanksgiving to Inglewood or Compton, communities that are huge and important communities in L.A., but sometimes underappreciated. Um, and so Shaq was a guy that was doing a lot of stuff on the camera tape, wasn't rolling. I want to shift gears here. You've talked a lot about your devotion to faith as a member of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And although you, you were accepted a job at a public university, how does – I guess I'm curious because there aren't many jobs in sports that, that closely – tied to religion, like BYU, for example, a, you know, a school that you know very well. Um, your predecessor at Utah Valley, Mark Pope, was also uh, a member of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How does your religion play into a job like this, and did you feel like it was a, a prerequisite for this job? Not at all. Not, not at all. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, my faith has nothing to do with this job or with this university. I, I am a practicing member of my faith, but there in our locker room, they're players of many faiths. They're players of many belief systems. And so this is, this is a public university. This is a place that embraces all people. Um, and, and that is the mission that, that I, and, and the culture that I want to help uh, really foster here, a, a culture of inclusion, a culture that is, this school is not affiliated with, with any single religious faith. Uh, it, is, it is a public institution. It is a, it is a great institution, which, and the goals here are of academic excellence, service to community, and getting outside yourself to try to make a contribution in the world. To me, those, those missions and those goals transcend any individual, the faith of any one individual person. Uh, it is true that geographically this is a region with certain faiths that, that uh, make it part of the population. But as far as the mission and, and culture of the school and the basketball program, and as far as myself as a head coach, I want to embrace all people. And the common denominator is going to be, do they love basketball and do they love academics? Why Utah Valley? I mean, why right now? You said that you've had other interviews. I would imagine that you've had other job offers, whether that's for head coaching or, or assistant uh, coaches. And correct me if I'm wrong on that, but why Utah Valley and why right now? Was this the right move for you? Well, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, Utah Valley has one of the most unique histories in terms of basketball that, that you can find. And it, it, it goes back a long ways to who I'm going to start with Dick Huntsaker, who was the, 
I'm not sure the exact year that he started, but Dick Hunsaker helped take this university under his leadership from the junior college level to the, to the Division I level. That single feat had never been accomplished, and it will never be accomplished going forward in the future because the NCAA closed the legislation that allowed that. Well, Dick Hunsaker completed that, that transition in, in a great way. Under Dick Hunsaker, this team won the whack. And, and then Mark Pope came in and took the, this program to even higher heights when you look at the win totals, when you look at some of the road wins that Coach Pope and his team were able to pull off. I mean, this is a school with a tremendous basketball legacy and history. And it, it is exactly for that reason that I wanted to be part of this. Secondly, when you look at the academics here, Utah Valley is the largest uh, university in the state of Utah at close to 40,000 enrolled students. Utah Valley is the fastest growing university in the state of Utah when it comes to growth of student population. There, there are a number of really unique degrees here. We, we had a recruit. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about recruiting. Probably not. So let me just speak generally. If, hypothetically, a recruit came into my office and said, hey, I'm passionate about aviation. I want to learn how to fly a plane. Well, Utah Valley has a tremendous and a really uh, in-depth program of aviation through a, through a partnership with the Provo Utah Airport. This is a school that is, that is international. This is a school that draws students from all across the United States. There's a hallway here at Utah Valley, with, and there's hundreds of flags up in the hallway. And each flag signifies a student that has come to this university from a foreign country. And I'm telling you, you look for hundreds of yards, and there are just flags everywhere. It's a beautiful thing to be part of. Last thing for you here, and this this kind of goes off. I want to go back to something that we that we briefly um, touched on. I, I know in a couple of interviews before that, you've said you've always wanted to be a head coach, you know, whether that's in the NBA or college. And like you mentioned, you had that a little bit before, uh, not for very long, and now you have that now. And I always like to ask coaches this. You know, I had T.J. Otzelberg on the show earlier this year. That was when he was still at South Dakota State. I think it was like late January, early February when his was his name was really buzzing about potential other jobs, and then he ultimately takes the UNLV job. And I remember him saying something to the effect when he was growing up, all he wanted to be was a high school teacher and coach, and he got that uh, right away. And then he talked about how that kind of evolved you know, into I'm ready for the next step, and he bounces around a little bit. Um, and then once he gets to South Dakota State, he's ready for the next step. And like I said, as you know, it goes to UNLV. So in something like college basketball, my question to you is, you know, where coaches, like you said, you're so invested in the university. You're meeting with donors. You're meeting with alumni. Uh, you're recruiting, fundraising, and all that. But in a sport where so many coaches are interested in moving up to other opportunities, how difficult do you think it is to strike that balance of being so invested, so ingrained in your current program, but also willing to entertain, and when you get to the point, say, yeah, maybe I am ready for the next step. My wife and I, we, we have a home here in this community. We, we feel very comfortable in this community. It's an hour outside of Salt Lake. It's an hour and a half flight to, to Los Angeles, where Hannah has, has two brothers in Los Angeles. I have family in California. This is a place I could envision myself being for a very long time. 
you, you never know what the future holds. You, you just you can't predict it. You can't try to script it. Um, you know, to be honest, I I, I never I, I didn't envision going back to Stanford to coach as soon as I did. I, I didn't then envision going back to the Lakers to coach as as soon as that happened. Um, but nevertheless, it, it happened. And so the main thing that Hannah and I are trying to do, my wife, we're trying to embrace this opportunity, give it our very best. I'm going to try to give these players everything I have to help the team and the program be successful, number one, and number two, to help each individual player achieve their dreams and aspirations and to help them along the way. Um, and if I do that and if, if, if we're able to have that success, I'm, I'm going to feel very I'm going to feel happy inside to, to help guys achieve what they're trying to do. So did Utah Valley put a clause in your contract for a dented Astrovan? Is that really what closed the deal for you? <laughs> uh, luckily, they have a pretty good partnership with, uh, with the dealership out here. So, uh, you know, the, the car has been taken care of. All right, that's Mark Madsen. He's taken over a Utah Valley program, coming off that 25-win season. Like I said, 48 wins over the last two years. Hey, Mark, great chatting with you. I hope all goes well this summer. You're able to get some sleep here. And best of luck going into next season if we don't talk before then. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. Always great to talk to a Minnesota guy, man. Utah Valley was, as of as of Monday, one of 55 head coaching changes this season, same number as last year, actually, and 54 of those jobs have been filled, only waiting on North Dakota. They lost Brian Jones late. He left for that assistant job at Illinois State, so now North Dakota's in that dreaded spot of seeking a replacement in May. I mean, we're only five and a half, six months before the season starts. Okay, that's going to be it for this episode of High Motor. Appreciate you dropping by. I'm guessing we had a lot of new listeners from Utah this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Would love to have you back. Would love a rating and review if you have a minute. Always much appreciated. I'm going to be back next week, Monday, May 13th, for another episode. Until then, as we do every week on High Motor, please allow Creed Bratton to take you into the remainder of your week. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in